0: Now we continue with this morning's scripture reading, today we're going to get back on track with our, our Advent sermon series, our Advent worship series called Speedy Delivery. Uh, so, so the name of this series comes from a show that I used to watch when I was a kid. Uh, I used to watch a show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, some, of you, some of you remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. My favorite, my favorite moments in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood were always those moments when uh, the delivery man, Mr. McFeely, would show up at the door and Mr. Rogers would, would let him in and he would say, Speedy? delivery and then there would be a package and, and it wasn't even a package for me but I was always excited when Mr. McFeely showed up with some mail or a package for, for Mr. Rogers. I never forgot speedy delivery, that, that thing that he would say and, and as, we were, as we were working on what is the thing we want to hear from God this Advent, what does the word that God have to say to us this year during the Advent season, we were thinking about all of, the, all of the stories that have been in the news lately about how Christmas is going to be ruined because of supply chain issues, because People's packages are stuck off season in, in shipping containers and they can't get through ports, and, and Amazon deliveries are not arriving at people's doors in time for Christmas. There are all these stories in the last few weeks about how Christmas is going to be ruined by supply chain issues. Uh, and, and I heard somebody, I heard somebody say, Well, if people think that Christmas can be ruined because of supply chain issues, then they haven't got a clue what Christmas is really about. I really I like that. I said, let's make our Advent series about that. So in this series, we're talking about a God who doesn't so depend on supply chains. You know, the scriptures are filled with moments uh, when God says, I am going to deliver. I'm going to deliver you from. I'm going to deliver to you. Christmas, the Christmas story, is about God's delivery to all, all the world. And so, and so we're making our way through this series, and we're hearing about those things that God can deliver to us, that God can deliver us from without any waiting, right this moment, right today, without placing an order, without filling out a form, without paying for shipping, there are things that God can deliver us from right now simply, simply for the asking. We're going to continue with that conversation this morning as we hear this reading from the New Testament book of 1 John. Listen now for the voice of God as we hear these words from the letter of 1 John, beginning with verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 9. And John says this, If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. About a month ago, a tall man with a gray beard walked into a police station in Sydney, Australia, He walked up to the counter and he leaned on the counter and he looked at the officer who was seated behind the counter and he said, Hello, he said, my name is Darko and I believe that you've been looking for me. Well, it turned out that the police had been looking for Darko. They had been looking for Darko for so long that they had given up on any hope of ever actually finding Darko. It turns out that the police in Australia had been looking for Darko for almost 30 years ever since he escaped from a prison hundreds of miles north of Sydney. Now, back in 1992, Darko was about halfway through a three-year prison sentence for growing marijuana when one day he found a pair of wire clippers in the prison's tool shed. And so he walked over to the fence and he cut a hole and he walked out and he disappeared and for 30 years, the authorities, for 30 years, the police had no idea where Darko was. They, they had been looking for him but had not seen, not seen hair nor hide of Darko for 30 years until suddenly, one day, about a month ago, he walked into this police station and turned himself in. Well, the police took him into custody. And they put him back in prison. And then after a little while, after a few days in prison, they gave him another hearing. He went before a judge to figure out what on earth is going to be Darko's fate 30 years after he escaped from prison. And it was there, it was at the hearing, that the whole story came out. At the hearing, what people discovered was that 30 years ago, Darko actually had a better than average reason for wanting to escape from prison. You see, Darko was an immigrant. He moved to Australia from the country of Yugoslavia when he was a teenager. He spent more than half of his life in, Yugosl- in Australia. He made it into his 30s without, without having any trouble with the police or the authorities. He lived perfectly well in Australia on a permanent visa until one day in his mid-30s, he was arrested for growing marijuana, and so he was given this three-year prison sentence. And, and he knew that at the end of that three-year prison sentence, there was a good chance that his visa was going to be revoked, and he was going to be sent back to Yugoslavia. Now, some of you are old enough to remember what was going on in Yugoslavia in the early 90s. In the early 90s, the nation of Yugoslavia was being torn apart by a terrible civil war. And Darko knew that if he were sent back to his home country as a young man, a relatively young man in his early 30s with no connections, with no rooting in the community, with nobody to advocate for him, chances were that he would be drafted into some militia or other and he would be sent to the front lines where the fighting was the thickest. He knew that going back to Yugoslavia very well may mean a death sentence. And so when he saw an opportunity to escape, he took it. He cut a hole in that prison fence, he walked out, and he disappeared. He made his way down to Sydney and he, he created a whole new life for himself. He learned a trade, he learned construction, he started a construction business, and he worked on doing renovations on, on rental homes. He became a, a part of the community, he found, found relationships with his neighbors, and he, he made business partnerships. And over the years, a, a Darko's life was not easy. He created a new life for himself, but it was a difficult life. He couldn't use his identification, and so he couldn't get a driver's license. He had to walk or, or ride the bus to all of his various workplaces. He couldn't access national health care. He couldn't access any health care. When he had a, a toothache, Darko removed his own teeth with a pair of pliers. It was, not, it was not an easy life, but for 30 years, Darko kept his nose clean. He stayed off the radar of the authorities. He built a whole new life for himself, and he was, he was doing okay. And then came the pandemic, and suddenly all of his work dried up, his business collapsed. He found himself homeless and out on the streets. And so finally, one day, about a month ago, Darko decided he had no other options. He might as well turn himself in. And Darko came out of hiding in part because he wanted to get a roof over his head, but also in part because after 30 years, he was just, he was just tired of hiding. And at this hearing a few weeks ago, Darko's lawyer pleaded for mercy. He said, listen, Darko is now 64 years old. For 30 years, he's been a law-abiding and contributing member of the community. Nobody is served by sending this man back to prison. He said, Darko's neighbors have contributed tens of thousands of dollars for his defense today. They've given him, they've offered him a home and a new job when he, when he gets out of prison. Nobody's interest is served by sending Darko back to prison. Let's just once, let's find it in ourselves to show, to show mercy. That's what Darko's attorney said. And then the judge handed out her sentence. She said, As much compassion as I have for Darko, and as much as I understand why he did what he did, and that he had good reasons for doing what he did, there cannot be any room in our justice for mercy in this case. She said, We have to send a message that there is no point in trying to escape from prison. And so she sentenced Darko to spend the rest of his three-year sentence in prison. And then after that is finished, she said he's going to serve two more months because of the escape. And then the immigration authorities in Australia announced that that once Darko is finished spending another year and a half plus two months in prison, his visa will be revoked and he will be sent back to his home country. Which was confusing for everybody because his home country, Yugoslavia, doesn't even exist anymore. Nobody is actually sure who is going to take Darko after he serves his prison sentence. If anybody, if they can't find any country willing to take Darko, he could be imprisoned indefinitely. He could spend decades, he could spend the rest of his life in prison for a three-year sentence 30 years ago. The judge said, we really don't have any choice. We have to impose the full penalty because we have to send a message that if you escape, no matter how long it takes, we will track you down and you will serve out the rest of your sentence. We don't have room for mercy in this instance because we have to send a message. Well, when I heard this story, I couldn't help but thinking that actually what the judge was doing was sending a completely different sentence. It seemed to me that the message the judge was actually sending was not, there's no point in trying to escape The message the judge was actually sending is there's no point in turning yourself in. There's no point in confessing. There's no point in coming clean because you can't expect any mercy in this world's justice. This world's justice, all too often, is about sending messages. This world's justice all too often is about three strikes and you're out. This world's justice all too often is about the judge can't look soft on crime because the judge has got to win re-election in an upcoming election. The justice of this world all too often doesn't have any room for compassion, any room for humanity, any room for mercy. And maybe, maybe the reason we have such a hard time confessing our sins to God is that we are so used to the justice of this world. One of the things that we've been making room for in worship for the last few months is is prayers of confession. We had gotten away from that for a few years, but in the last few months, every so often on a Sunday morning, we at Court Street United Methodist Church have been taking a moment in worship to tell the truth about who we are, to confess our sins before God and ask for God's forgiveness. Now, prayers of confession used to be a regular feature of Christian worship. Lots of churches, lots of different kinds of churches on Sunday morning would make time in worship for laying bare our hearts and our sins before God and asking for God's forgiveness. But at some point in the 20th century, churches started moving away from prayers of confession. It's not hard to guess the reason why, right? As people became more and more willing to church hop and to church shop, worship leaders and pastors and priests started moving away from anything that could make people uncomfortable, anything that would be too difficult or too challenging on a Sunday morning. They didn't want to have that moment where somebody is sitting in the pews and says, boy, it has been a hard week at the end of a hard month. We have houses exploding in the city of Flint. We have children shooting other children. We've got tornadoes tearing through America. And all I want this morning is for for you to tell me that God loves me and everything is going to be okay. And now you want me to sit here in this pew and think about all of my faults and failures and all of the ways in which I have let God down. Maybe next week I'm going to try the Presbyterians. Let's see if they're, if they're doing this nonsense over there. And so churches started moving away from, from prayers of confession. And that's a Problem. Because even as churches stopped having moments of confession and forgiveness, all of those burdens of guilt and shame still kept piling up on people's shoulders, on people's backs, and now we had no way of dealing with that guilt and shame. Now we didn't know what to do with them. One of the things I've discovered in my years as a pastor is that much of the destructive and dysfunctional behavior we see in the church and in the world is the result of unresolved guilt and unresolved shame. Why does that man who sits in that pew over there every Monday morning send an email to the church office tearing apart the Sunday worship service and telling the church staff about all the things that he didn't like that happened on Sunday morning? It's because years ago when his wife died, he felt completely helpless to do anything about it. And because he felt helpless, he got angry at himself. And he felt guilty because he couldn't save her. That's how it works sometimes. We carry guilt for things that weren't even within our control. We still feel that burden of guilt and that anger at ourselves. And now he doesn't know what to do with that anger. He can't resolve that anger. So what does he do? He turns it outward. He turns it at God. He turns it towards the church. He turns it towards the pastor. Why does that woman always gossip? Why is she always tearing apart people who aren't even in the room? It's because she doesn't love what she sees when she looks in the mirror. She feels shame about who she is. And she doesn't know what to do with that shame. And so she points it outward. She points it at everybody else. Instead of tearing herself apart, she tears apart everybody who comes within her orbit. Why does that other man keep starting fights on social media and in Sunday school? Why is he always picking fights with people? It's because he's got an addiction that he can't tell the truth about and he hates himself for it. And because he doesn't know what to do with that hatred he feels towards himself, he points it outward at everybody else. He hates everyone and everything else. Much of the dysfunction. Much of the destructive behavior we see in the church and in the world is the result of unresolved, unconfessed, unforgiven guilt and shame. And Now, maybe if you're a good Methodist at this point, you're thinking, well, pastor, you don't need to have moments of confession in the liturgy on Sunday morning for people to talk to Jesus about their sins. We're good Methodists, and so we know that at any moment we can confess our sins to God. We don't need to go through a priest. We don't need to go through a pastor. We don't need to have it written down in the bulletin on a Sunday morning. At any moment, we could fall down on our knees and say, Jesus, here's the truth about who I am and what I have been doing. I need your forgiveness. Please pour out your forgiveness upon me and it is true we can do that we can at any place in any moment we can open our hearts to God and ask for God's forgiveness the thing is though most of us don't why don't we do it because we are so used to the justice of this world and we're afraid that God's justice is going to be like the justice we've experienced in this world we are afraid that when we come to God when we open our hearts to God we're going to discover that God is like an Australian judge We're afraid that if we confess our sins, if we tell the truth about who we are to God, that we will somehow break the glove that God has for us. That God's going to look at us and say, oh my goodness, I've heard a lot of things over a lot of centuries, but now this is finally the one that takes the cake. There is just no way, there is just no way that I can forgive this one. There is just no way that I can let, let this one go. You're the one, you're the worst sinner who there ever was. You finally stretched me to my limits. Why don't we confess our sins? Why don't we tell God the truth about who we are and what's been weighing us down and what's been hiding in our hearts? Because we have not received And we have not believed the promise that we find in this morning's scripture reading. In today's scripture reading, we have a passage from the New Testament letter of 1 John. John the evangelist was a leader in the early church. And in in the letter of 1 John, he says to his congregation, he says, If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just, Jesus who loves us, will, 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 will forgive our sins and will begin to heal our heavy hearts. The good news in this morning's scripture reading is that God's justice is not like the justice of this world. The good news in this morning's scripture reading is that Jesus is not bound by three strikes laws. Jesus doesn't have to win re-election. Jesus is the one who has the authority to judge and he is the one who has the authority to forgive because he is the one who was willing to die for the sins of this world. The one who will judge us is the same one who died that our sins might be forgiven. The good news, the good news of today's scripture reading is the only message that Jesus is interested in sending is the message of God's love for all the world And if we confess our sins, if we tell the truth about who we are and what we've been carrying on our shoulders, He will deliver us from our sins. He will deliver us from that brokenness in our hearts. He will deliver us from the burden that we've been carrying. He will deliver us not tomorrow, but today. And all we have to do is come out of hiding. Let's pray. God, we pray for deliverance. We pray that you would look into our hearts that you would pour out forgiveness. That you would teach us how to love ourselves. Teach us how to love what we see when we look in the mirror the way that you love us when you look upon us. Teach us how to let go of the guilt that we feel for things that were beyond our control. The guilt that we feel for things that are absolutely within our control. Teach us how to let go of that hatred. Teach us how to let go of that anger. That we might find peace. That we might be agents of peace. That your forgiveness might flow through us into all the world. In Jesus we pray. Amen.